Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. Many of us are watching what's happening in the Ukraine region right now, and uh, many with heavy hearts. We know that there is a close connection between Oregon and Ukraine and Russia. And I'm seeing some of our great Ukrainian families, Russian families, Belarusian families who are here even, even tonight. Uh, about a, a, a year ago, I ran into some missionary friends who were pastors at the International Church in Kiev. And I said, you know, uh, we have a lot of Ukrainian families who attend our church in Oregon. And they said, yes, in Ukraine, Oregon is known as the place where Ukrainians go if they move to the United States. So we're... As we, as we look at what's happening in that part of the world, we know that it's not just some people somewhere. For many of the people in our church, we're talking about your family. We're talking about your friends. We're talking about brothers and sisters and cousins. And you've sent me pictures, pictures of family members who have been hiding for safety in basements. And so we know this has been deeply personal. We want you to know as a church family, we're with you and we're for you and we want to do whatever we can to be with you and, and uh, be the hands and feet of Christ for you on this side of what you're going through. So let's look tonight at, first of all, some of, of today's headlines, the headlines even this afternoon about what's happening in Russia. And uh, the first is, is this. Uh, the headline coming this afternoon from the Times of London that Russia is seeking to split Ukraine in two, mirroring the partition of the Korean Peninsula that is now the North and South, North and South Korea. This is uh, what Ukraine's, one of Ukraine's top military intelligence officers is now saying, uh, claiming that from their side, it looks like Putin and Russia have, have failed to capture the capital in the way that they want and to overthrow the government. And so maybe this is wishful thinking that they now just want to essentially cut their losses and say, could we divide the country and part of the country would come under Russian control. Another headline from Fox News that uh, Ukrainian and Russian officials are set to meet tomorrow in Istanbul, Turkey for another round of in-person talks. Uh, the... Um, the talks are, <laughs> this is interesting, they can't seem to agree on anything. The Ukrainians say that it's going to happen tomorrow, and the Russians say that it will happen on Tuesday. <laughs> there were some previous in-person talks that happened in Belarus that were, there were no major breakthroughs. And this, some say, well, what do both sides want? What do both sides want? And, and as we get into this conversation, by nature, and I, Many of you know this. I worked as in, in local television and news for 10 years in journalism. Just by default, journalism will simplify things. 
And we like things concise and headlines and a few sentences, but what is happening in Russia and Ukraine and that region, it's not as simple as it is on the surface. It's deep and it's complex and it goes back decades and centuries. So we have to keep that in mind. But maybe we're wondering what, what do both sides really want? Well, uh, the Russians have said that the war would stop in a moment if Ukraine would vow to never join NATO, recognize Crimea as a Russian territory, and recognize the independent of separate republics uh, within eastern Ukraine. So that maybe is a summary of what the Russians want. Ukraine, they, they are demanding immediate ceasefire, and they want, of course, the Russian troops out. The Ukrainian president said this week that his country may agree, may, may agree not to join NATO and if they were to have some security guarantees. So uh, one more headline to look at, even here from this afternoon, from The Hill. Uh, this would uh, give us an estimate of the civilian casualties as a result of what's happening in Ukraine. The United Nations Human Rights Office said today, Sunday, that there have been at least 2,909 civilian casualties amid Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That figure includes 1,119 deaths and 1,790 injuries. Uh, one estimate says that at least 50 children have been killed and 70 additional children injured. And those figures are actually lower than what uh, the Ukrainians are saying. They say that at least 139 children have been killed and more than 200 injured. So the uh, impact on human life is real. And these are real people and real families. And it's hard to maybe grasp that when we give statistics and numbers. But every one of those numbers represents, again, a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, a child, a grandparent. And so we are praying for peace in that region of the world. So as we talk about prophecy tonight, just very simply, a prophecy is a message from God to a person or two people delivered through a, a prophet. A prophet is a spokesperson for God. In Old Testament prophecy, there are some different types of prophecy. And the type of prophecy that we're talking about tonight Old Testament prophecy is so often very focused on events in the future. And many of you know this, the Old Testament has many prophecies about the coming Messiah, about Jesus Christ that were fulfilled. The Old Testament predicted details of the birth, life, death, and even resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so some Old Testament prophecies have already come to pass and some are yet to come to pass. And then there's also prophecies that have multiple fulfillments. Like we, we talk about Jesus, there's the, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. It's a version of multiple uh, prophecies that have more than one fulfillment. So there's question, questions, speculation out there. Are we seeing unfolding in Ukraine and Russia right now the Gog, Magog invasion uh, prophecy that is found in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. So if you have your word with you tonight and you want to follow along with some of the verses that we're going to look at, Ezekiel chapter 38, Ezekiel chapter 38, and I would encourage you to read this uh, entire chapter in chapter 39 on your own. 
So there's questions out there, speculation. Are we seeing the unfolding of the Gog-Magog invasion prophecy that's found in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel? And a quick online Google search. You, if you search in your, uh, whatever search engine you use, if you search Gog and Magog, you can see there's all types of different articles that are out there now about people who are weighing in on this. One well-known pastor said earlier this month, Vladimir Putin is Gog. Now, if this is going to happen in years in the future, this pastor said Gog could be, could be somewhere else, but now we have a leader in Russia who is a very evil man, says one pastor. We'll look at who, what, when, where, and how this Gog and Magog prophecy in Ezekiel 38 and 39 play out, and we'll see why Russia, not just now, but in many times over history, we'll see why Russia is so often connected to this prophecy. And as we get into this, I know that we have some super-duper prophecy buffs. So I just want to say at the beginning, you may know more than me. So if there's something burning inside of you, like, why isn't he saying that? Doesn't he know that? Hasn't he read this? I may not have. Okay, so let's just uh, let the tension out of the room. You may know more than me. And also, you may have had read some information that I haven't read yet. So um, we can talk about that afterward, all right? What's important for us tonight is an awareness of the Bible and an awareness of what's happening in the Word and in the world. An awareness of what's happening in the Bible and an awareness of what's happening in the world. We need both. We need both. And it begins with an awareness of the Word, of what God's Word says. And then we put that up against what's happening in the world around us. We certainly have to be careful about two extremes. One extreme would be to say, when we look at something that's happening right now, one extreme would be to say, this absolutely 100% for sure is this in the Bible. Another extreme would be to say, there's no way that this could possibly be what the Bible is talking. Those are two extremes. We've got to be careful not to corner ourselves into one extreme or another. Now, when Jesus returns, we will know. That will be certain. But so much of biblical prophecy, we have to watch and be aware of how it unfolds, and we want to be careful about saying, well, this absolutely is that prophecy. What we do know is that present and future events, are, they are all moving toward the return of Christ. We are moving toward the return of Christ. There is a timeline of history, and Jesus is coming back, and every day, every hour, every second, we are one day, one hour, one second closer to the return of Christ. So we can say with certainty that world events are moving us closer to the return of Christ. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verse 36 and 37, speaking about himself, he said, if he comes suddenly... Do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, Jesus says, watch, watch, watch. So let's know the word, let's watch what's happening in the world, and let's not be caught asleep. We're going to look at today what we know about God's word and what we see happening in the world. And as we look at Ezekiel, little background on Ezekiel. Ezekiel's name means God strengthens. And Ezekiel is a priest, was a priest from a line of priests. And he writes 
this approximately 600 years before Jesus is born. At the time that Ezekiel writes, the Jewish people have been forced from their homeland and they're living as foreign exiles in Babylon. So that's where Ezekiel comes on the pages of history. And in this time, God gives Ezekiel these prophecies that are recorded for us now in our Old Testament. In Ezekiel, we see the mystery of God as the prophecies are revealed in, again, mysterious visions, imagery, and symbolic actions that God actually called, in many cases, for Ezekiel to act out personally. Now, Ezekiel actually stands out from most prophets in that more than any other prophet, he was called to act out prophecies that God gave through him. Like, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 5, God instructed Ezekiel to use his sword as a razor. I'm thankful that we have these five-blade comfort razors that you could not protect you from cutting yourself when you shave. Ezekiel was told to use his sword as a razor and to cut the hair from his head and from his beard. And then Ezekiel is told to burn, chop, and scatter his hair as a visual picture to represent the fall of Jerusalem and that eventually God would bring back his people. So onto the prophetic pages, we find Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 forecast a future event when God will defeat a coalition of nations that attempt to conquer Israel. That's the summary of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Ezekiel 38 and 39 forecast a future event when God will defeat a coalition of nations that attempt to conquer Israel. So who, we're going to look at the who, what, where, and how of what uh, Ezekiel says. Who is involved in the invasion that we read about in Ezekiel? When Russia gets involved in any sort of conflict, these chapters get a lot of attention. Why? Well, look at Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 2 and 3. Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. Gog is likely a name used to symbolize the leader of an evil opponent of God, leading a military invasion of Israel, possibly even a demonic ruler that has authority over a nation or over a group of people. That's Gog. Magog, the land of Magog, it says Gog of Magog or from Magog, uh, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Now, Rosh, that uh, Hebrew word, it means head or chief. But this is interesting. Some people connect Rosh, R-O-S-H, to Rus, R-U-S, and then connect that to the Russian people. They get this from a historical group of people in the region that was known as the Ross. And the, the connection that some make is that modern Russians get their name from, from this, can trace it back all the way here to Rosh. Now some say there's evidence that Meshach and Tubal in Ezekiel's writing refer to the Russian cities of Moscow and Tobolsk, which is in Siberia, and I'll just tell you that a lot of scholars would 
uh, actually dismiss that because uh, the historical places of Meshach and Tubal are actually in modern-day Turkey. But I just I want to give you the information, all right? Some people make that connection. Interesting to discuss. So those are kind of interesting things to talk about. But here is where the strongest evidence exists that points to Russia's involvement. It's in phrasing that declares that the invaders of Israel will come from the far north. Look at verse 15. Then you will come from your place, talking about the invaders, out of the far north. Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you. When you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, you see this phrase, far north, repeated. This is interesting. Moscow, Russia is almost directly north of Jerusalem. The distance between Moscow and Jerusalem is about 1,600 miles, a little more than 1,600 miles, approximately the same distance that it is from here in Salem, Oregon to Juneau, Alaska. And, and Juneau, Alaska is offset from Salem about, in about the same way that uh, Moscow is offset from, uh, from Jerusalem. We're talking about who is involved in the invasion found in Ezekiel 38 and 39 prophecy. Does Gog of Magog for sure point to Russia? Possibly, yes. Probably, maybe. Absolutely, we cannot say that for sure. I like what theologian Lamar Eugene Cooper writes. One should be cautious, however, about making certain identification of exactly which nation in modern or future history will fill this role. In the 20th century, German, Germany, Russia, Iran, and Iraq have all been nominated to fill this role, but none of these is certain. So what he's saying is that at certain times when certain conflicts around the world are happening, some people have said, okay, now Germany must be Gog. And if you know history, you know World War II, you can see why some people would say that. Then there, we know about the conflicts with Iran and Iraq. And so at times, those conflicts, people said, well, these countries must be Gog. So I appreciate what this theologian is saying is we have to be careful when we say, oh, this is absolutely for sure the country that Ezekiel is talking about. The invasion will be led by a country from the north, but what is also clear is that it will not be just one nation, but an alliance of nations. Look at this with me, Ezekiel 38, verses 5 and 6. Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Togarma from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes. Many people are with you. And the you is, the, the, is Gog, the leading nation that is going to invade Israel. So other nations join Gog of Magog from all directions, the east, south, west, from the east, south, and west. And, and some of these uh, countries, we can identify them today. For instance, Persia is to the east. Persia is today's Iran. South, Cush refers roughly to the area of Sudan and possibly Ethiopia. And Put, P-U-T, is to the west. That's Libya today. Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Togarma 
were all descendants of Japheth in the Old Testament who settled around Turkey, the Black Sea, the Caucasus Mountains, and into Eastern Europe. Now, the Caucasus Mountains, this is an interesting uh, region to pay attention to. This would be in the southern part of Russia as you get down into the Stan countries. And uh, a few years back, this would not be possible now. A few years back, I had an opportunity to travel with some missionaries, and we spent some time in the Caucasus Mountains. This would be an area of Russia that is very, um, where, where Islam is very predominant. Russia is a huge, vast country. And there's different areas, just like in, I shouldn't say just like, but like in other major countries, you can't describe the whole country and all people everywhere under one category or heading. There are certain parts of the country that uh, would lean to different belief systems and religions. And um, this part, the Caucasus Mountains of Russia, leans very heavily uh, towards Islam. And so I'm in... Uh, in Russia, and I'm in this car with these uh, two missionaries from the United States to uh, Russia, and we're in a Russian-built car. What's the, what's the manufacturer of the car company in Russia? You know it. You don't know it. Whatever it is, we're in a Russian-made car, and uh, we're driving by this, this, this village, and... Uh, the, the, the missionary says that city is known as a recruiting city of Islamic terrorists. And uh, we did not stop there at the 7-Eleven. We kept going. We'll get our Coke at the next town. Many of these countries that are talked about from the east, south, and west, many of these countries are already militant Islamic nations who are at odds with Israel. So it's not a far reach to, to see how these countries could be involved in the Gog and Magog prophecy coming to pass. What we can also see right now, this is important, there does not appear as it stands today a coalition of nations today that fits the Gog and Magog description. Russia is currently very much alone in their Ukrainian invasion. Even countries that so often are aligned with Russia are keeping an arm's length from the conflict for now. Russia is, is uh, only, the, only a few countries actually refuse to condemn Russia for its current actions. Uh, Belarus, Eritrea, North Korea, and Syria. And even they, they're not fighting this war with Russia. Uh, Russia is very much alone right now. It's said that, that Russia actually was more closely aligned with Ezekiel 38 and 39 during Soviet times. Russia, at, in, in Soviet times, Russia and a set of African nations supported Middle East allies in their attacks against Israel. So we would say that there were years in recent history where Russia was actually more closely aligned with Gog and Magog than right now, 1956, 67, 73, and 82. So why the global focus on Ezekiel 38 and 39 today? What's happening today is not a Russian invasion of Israel. It's an invasion of Ukraine. But what many are, are saying is possibly happening is that the invasion of Ukraine is perhaps a first step in a Russian attempt to restore some global dominance or regional dominance. What we know is that when the Ezekiel prophecy comes to pass, multiple nations will be involved. So what does Ezekiel say 
is uh, what does God say through Ezekiel that will happen? What will the coalition do? Look at verse 10 with me. Thus says the Lord God. Thus says the, the Lord God. On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. Again, speaking about the invading nations. You will make an evil plan. Verse 11, you will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. So the outside forces mission will be to seize Israel at a time of peace. Unwalled villages, dwelling safely without walls, no bars or gates. As it stands today, it's very difficult to make the case that Israel is a nation that is living in peace. Israel is a nation right now that is is living in conflict. The U.S. State Department says terrorist threats, civil unrest, and armed conflict are present in Israel today. We said we're going to talk about the who, what, when, where, and how. When will the events of Ezekiel 38 and 39 unfold? What's, you can find uh, a biblical scholar to align with just about any position you'll find. Some say that the invasion will take place prior to the rapture of the church. That's the age that we're living in right now. We're living in the age prior to Jesus' return, prior to the rapture of the church, and some say that the, uh, this Gog and Magog prophecy will come to pass before the rapture of the church. Others say the invasion will take place at the end of the tribulation. So the space, the, um, the, the, the seven years between the rapture and uh, the second coming of Christ, the tribulation, some are saying that the Gog and Magog prophecy will come to pass during that time. Still others say that the invasion will take place at the beginning of the millennium, so after the second coming of Christ. And still others teach that the invasion takes place at the end of the millennium, more than a thousand years from now. Those who hold to that position contend that the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel and the Gog and Magog of Revelation chapter 20 verse 8 are the same. So in case I just lost you for a second, wake up, hang in there with me. Ezekiel chapter 20, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 20 verse 7 and 8 specifically talk about Gog and Magog, a war at the very end of time. Revelation chapter 20 verse 7 and 8, and when the thousand years are ended, that's the end of the millennial reign of Christ, Satan will be released from prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, their number is like the sand of the sea. So remember at the beginning of our time together, we talked about how some Bible prophecies have like more than one fulfillment. Most people would say that the prophecy of Gog and Magog is going to have more than one fulfillment. With absolute certainty, one fulfillment at the end of the millennial reign of Christ with an additional fulfillment at some point in time before that. Now, what's fascinating is that when you read um, different 
biblical scholars and their positions, they almost always say something like, every other position is impossible except for mine. And they list all the reasons why all the other positions cannot be and their position must be the one that is correct. So I guess we, um, we're grateful that they're solid in their convictions. But I'm just letting you know, as you look at the timeline, that no matter where you place Gog and Magog on the timeline of future events, there is some scholar that would come alongside you and support your position. So I appreciate this note from the Fire Bible. The time of the battle is difficult to establish. Most likely, it is not the same as the battle of Gog and Magog in Revelation 20, chapter, uh, uh, verses 7 through 9, which will occur at the end of the millennium. And then another uh, Pentecostal theologian, Stanley Horton, he writes, the circumstances described in Revelation are different from those described in Ezekiel. So Horton and the Fire Bible uh, uh, note authors would both concur that there are going to be two different fulfillments of a Gog and Magog prophecy. So how will this play out? As we wrap up around Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, what's going to transpire? Look at verse 21, Ezekiel 38, 21. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains. That's God. God, God says, I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. So this tells us that Israel is actually never really going to enter into the fight. That before the fight even gets to Israel, or when it enters Israel, the nations are going to turn against each other. And they're going to destroy each other. There's biblical evidence of that happening in the past. When the enemies turn against each other, the enemies are confused. And that's what uh, God says is going to happen here. That those who try to come against God are actually going to destroy each other. Verse 22, and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed, I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. We don't know exactly what it means when God says, I will rain down on him, but it's not good. God will confuse the invading armies so the attacking nations will turn against each other. And then God will also destroy the coalition forces with earthquakes, disease, and other weather disasters. And Ezekiel 39 talks about there being so many casualties that it will take seven years for all the dead to be buried. Many of us know very well Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Praise God for that. Look at Ezekiel 39, verse 1. And you, son of man, prophesy against God and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you. I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. So these are two verses that are parallel in many ways. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is against us, who can be for us? If God is opposed to what's happening, there's no, 
There's no coalition of human forces that can overcome God. If God is against us, no powers on earth will defeat what God wants to do. I know for sure what side I want to be on. I want to be on the side of if God is for us, who can be against us? God's plans will ultimately succeed. Isn't it fascinating that Ezekiel writes this more than 2,500 years ago? Think about just what's happened in the world since then in terms of how quickly information spreads. Think about in Ezekiel's time, if there was to be an invasion from the north, from the west, from the east, from the south, just how long it would take to sort out the information about what has actually transpired. And here we are in the year 2022, and information is quickly available about what's, what's happening. So what do we do about all this? God wants us to be aware of his word and aware of what's happening in the world so that when we see what's happening in the world, we can put it up against his word. I believe that God also wants us to be more than just aware of the headlines. We can become so obsessed with reading about prophecy that we forget to pray about the people who are impacted by the headlines. And thank God that because we're part of the kingdom, it, when, when, when we see things, this is not, I believe this is not just a Christian thing, it's a, it's a human thing. When we see something happening far away, we think, I want to do something to help. And because we're part of the kingdom of God, we can do something to help. We can go to the throne room of God and intercede on behalf of those people as if they were standing right next to us. We're also grateful that through what we're doing through Convoy of Hope, that we can make a tangible difference in the lives of the people who are suffering right now. This morning, I, I shared with you about how uh, semi-trucks are bringing humanitarian aid and food and supplies. Well, we just got some video actually uh, from, uh, so you can see those, those, those trucks um, being loaded and being sent off. This is one of those semi-trucks right now. This is a video of the trucks being loaded in, I believe it's Poland, where they are loaded up with supplies and they're sent to the Ukrainian border. And remember I shared with you this morning that um, this is where believers, people from churches, pastors, they come to the checkpoints where these trucks are parking and they take all these supplies and they bring them to the cities and to the villages and to the people who are cut off from even uh, common necessities and food. One of these trucks, it costs about $40,000 for them to load the truck, to fuel it, and to send it in uh, to, to Ukraine. And praise God, there goes, goes one more. You are, you are part of dispatching those trucks uh, to, to Ukraine. So thank you for what you're doing. What do we desire? 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 
Paul writes, Therefore I exhort you, first of all, that you make supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for everyone, for kings and who are all in authority. We pray for those who are in authority, especially those who think differently than we think. Pray that God's wisdom would prevail, that hardened hearts would be broken and softened, that people who love Jesus would come into the inner circle and would be given favor to speak against those who are doing evil in the world. Pray for kings and for all those who are in authority. Listen to this, that we may lead quiet, a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The strikes so close to what we're seeing happening right now that it's God's desire that people would be able to lead quiet and peaceful lives. Those of you who have family in Ukraine right now and the surrounding areas, I bet that they would like nothing more than right now to live a peaceful and quiet life. So do you see how in, in Paul's letter to, to, to Timothy, he connects praying for those in authority and the peaceful and quiet lives of the people. So we pray that as a result of, of lifting up, interceding for those who are in authority, that the result of their rule would be that the people would lead peaceful and quiet lives in places that are free from corruption, in places that are led by honest leaders, people of integrity, that people of integrity would be elevated to positions of authority. Could I ask if you, if you would, we want to pray over what's happening right now. Would you stand with me? And I don't want to make, I'm not making you do anything that, uh, I don't want you to be uncomfortable, but if you um, are here tonight and uh, you have family, you have friends, relatives, missionary connections, uh, you know someone personally who right now is, is in Russia, or I'm sorry, or in Russia or in Ukraine, either one. And you want us to pray for them. You want to you intercede on their behalf. You want to stand in the gap for them. I want to invite you to step out of your row if you're in the balcony and the floor level, and I'm going to invite you to come down to the altar space. And we want to lay hands on you as the one who's standing in the gap for your family. That's right. Come on down. Thank you. Anyone else? Can we get some brothers and sisters in Christ to surround these people? lay hands on them. Are there any others who would like to be prayed for tonight? You have friends, you have family, you have missionary connections, pastors you know who are currently in Russia. Church, let's extend a hand.
Father, we know that the reach, your reach, your hand is so much farther than our own. Where with our hand we can reach a few feet from where we stand. Your hand can reach to the farthest parts of the world and the farthest parts of the universe. So Father, you see those who are standing in the altar right now. As people who are standing in the gap, for family, friends, connections in Ukraine, in Russia, in that region, perhaps refugees who have fled to safety. Father, we pray for the safety of the people who are represented by those who are at the altar today. Supernatural protection, the hand of God surrounding them, that no matter what weapons may be formed, that they would not prosper against these people, that they would be kept safe, safely, unharmed. We pray for provision. May we be, may we be reminded as we go through the convenient conveniences of daily life that we can pull into a gas station, that we can go into a grocery store, that we can go to our pantry and have access to just about anything in minutes, that there are people who are cut off from access to the basic human needs. Father, supply and provide those who are in need today. For those who are fleeing the nation, give them safe passage, Father, to where they're going. May they find open arms. May they not be taken advantage of by people who would seize on the moment. We pray peace over Ukraine. We pray for those who are in positions of authority and leadership, political office, military leadership. Father, we ask that you would give favor to brothers and sisters in Christ. Give them influence. Penetrate the hearts of the wicked in the name of Jesus Christ. Bring them to repentance. We read about Paul and the supernatural transformation that you did in what he would describe as his own wicked heart. Father, we ask for Paul-like transformations in rulers who are doing wicked, evil things. May the senseless bloodshed cease. Open our eyes, Father, to what's happening in the world. Give us discernment to know how know the connection between what we read in your word and what we see happening in the world. Father, we pray that those in Ukraine and Russia would be able to live peaceful, quiet lives. And it's also just laid on my heart right now to pray for the people of Russia. Father, we know it. So often the person who's in leadership does not represent the people. And Father, we know that the Russian people have been so cut off from the world as a result of the decisions of the leadership. And these are people that are just like those of us in the sanctuary who want to go about their daily lives, bring their kids to school, put food on the table. And Father, we can almost sense their helplessness that they are suffering as a result of decisions of leadership. We ask for a restoration, Father. 
we ask that if there's any trouble in their provision, Father, that they would also have their needs supplied. Father, we do believe that an outcome is on the way that will ultimately glorify you. If you are for us, who can be against us? And Father, those who are against you will ultimately fail. And Father, we trust your timing. We affirm our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Thank you. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.